the impact of the pandemic of um, people working remotely. It's made it um, more okay for it to be that you don't have to be in the office on the weekends. It's also just a, a more tech forward uh, landscape. You don't necessarily need as many humans to, to monitor. And it doesn't mean we're gonna have the same liquidity at uh, you know, Saturday at midnight, but I think markets should probably be open um, a, a bit more living on real time since events do happen on the weekends at, at nights and we're living in a more uh, international landscape as well. So um, it would be you know, e easier for markets if the U.S. is open, you know, at least when Asia is open. Most people don't understand how the crypto market actually works, especially when it comes to institutions trading and institutions trading with size. Well, Rich Rosenblum was one of the first to become a market maker and to really solve these problems coming over from trading oil and other legacy assets and has a great perspective on exactly what it takes to make efficient markets in crypto. There's a great conversation you don't want to miss. So right now, the, the story obviously is global macro what's happening in the world and crypto has not been immune at all we had sort of the narrative that it was going to be an idiosyncratic asset class would do well potentially in this environment that hasn't been the case what do you think yeah certainly i think that people would have thought that crypto you know, bitcoin specifically is going to be a hedge to inflation so it's got to be pretty confusing for you know retail uh, especially, which you're just going to have less of an understanding of the, the nuances of what the, the macro landscape is caused by. Um, but I think the rally already happened. You know, we're still you know, 3x where we were a couple of years ago. Um, I think the problem is now that while inflation has arrived, you know, it's what central banks are going to have to do to, to stop inflation, and that's going to hurt all risk assets. And I think when Bitcoin was just an idea, you know, and has inflation protection qualities, it's a lot of room for it to run. But now that you're at the, the, the trillion type, um, you know, quantum, you know, it's become a risk asset. So it's going to have some correlation to, to other risk markets. Is that something that you expected to happen? I think that similar to when I was in, in oil a decade ago and uh, or actually 2007, 2008, started seeing a lot more macro participants. It was great on the way up, but then 2009 on the way down, that same risk uh, went away. So certainly if there's going to be uh, you know, stagflation or a period where the inflation is, is damaging risk assets, I certainly would assume crypto go with it. Just didn't really predict uh, this level of inflation. I think it's the confluence of events finally with uh, you know, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, which also I think was heavily unexpected. Uh, yeah, it's caused the more persistent inflation. Well, you have the oil background, actually, which is something that I don't think anyone else I've spoken to has. So it's an opportunity. I mean, that's obviously driving a lot of this, right? oil being well over $120 a barrel at, hmm. at, at certain points. Do you think that that was sort of the, the straw that broke the camel's back to some degree with a potentially a bubble that was ready to pop already and that was the pin? Absolutely. I think that it's uh, commodities overall. You know, food and energy are the part that they say, oh, don't look at that. They that's get to, not they important. They get to you know. exclude those. Yeah. Exactly. But that's the part that's going to impact uh, you know, retail investors uh, the most, arguably. And I think the reason why they, they don't um, include it is because it is the most volatile and there could be these short-term impacts. But if um, uh, Ukraine exports a third of the world's wheat and uh, you know, Russia is uh, one of the top exporters of, of oil in the, the world, 
and we don't know, you know when the situation is going to fix itself. You know, there's there's going to be continued volatility and higher prices until I think something's something's fixed on geopolitics. But I think it's interesting and extremely surprising to a lot of people that was the performance of the ruble during all of that. I mean, yeah, it absolutely skyrocketed. Mm-hmm. People thought that the currency would get crushed, right? Do you think that that's tied to the fact that they control so much of the commodity market? Absolutely, oil specifically. I think that uh, you know, even if um, the U.S. has commandeered hundreds of billions of, of their uh, fiat of their dollars that are held offshore, you know, the amount they've made from oil doubling has, has um, more, more than fulfilled that level. Yeah, that didn't work out exactly as planned, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and. I would say also potentially adding to all of this is the fact that this is one of the only markets that's truly 24-7, 365, being the crypto market, obviously, mm-hmm. not, not necessarily oil. Do you think that the fact that people can run to this liquidity is part of the reason that it's traded down so much? Yeah, I think that's probably more the story in the short term, like we saw in, in March 2020 when um, you know, Bitcoin went to, to below $4,000 uh, briefly, and I think Ethereum into the, the hundreds of dollars. Um, but at this point, you know, you've, you've had time to, to, to get out. Um, but I think there is this sense that anytime there is a new margin call, you're going to sell what's most liquid. So Bitcoin futures, I think, you know, it's going to take some punishment. But, you know, if you've had two months to get out, at least a lot of that damage has already been done. Yeah, that makes sense. Three of 24-7, 365, there's now a push, largely, I guess, led by FTX and SBF sort of to bring other markets to that paradigm rather than crypto remain the only one that's that way. Do you think that that's legitimately possible? I think we all agree that would be better. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's possible? I think it's a system people are so in, in, ingrained in. It, it might take more than a few meetings with the CFTC uh, to get it through. Um, it could take you know three to five years, but at the same time, I do think that's the direction things are going. I think also the impact of the pandemic of um, people working remotely, it's made it um, more okay for it to be that you don't have to be in the office on the weekends. Also just a, a more tech forward uh, landscape. You don't necessarily need as many humans to, to monitor. And it doesn't mean we're gonna have the same liquidity at uh, you know, Saturday at midnight, but I think markets should probably be open um, a, a bit more living on real time since events do happen on the weekends at, at nights and we're living in a more uh, international landscape as well. So um, it would be you know, e- easier for markets if the U.S. is open, you know, at least when Asia is open. And then you'd be able to actually manage risk in real time as opposed to waiting till Monday morning to panic and sell everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> So for, for you, though, I, you were one of the first, certainly, to focus on crypto and sort of take the same approach that perhaps you would have, you know, to other uh, markets, your market making. How do you do that 24-7, 365? So I think we were one of the first to have a real follow the sun model. So we have people um, across all three regions. Our, our offices are you know, London, New York, Singapore, in, in that order. And so I think that if we were just trading on the the, the, the top venues, I think we could probably have um, just, just one of those regions, but because we're very client service oriented and um, we are on some of the you know, second and third tier um, ex- exchanges, you know, we need to make sure that we're able to, to fix problems in real time as well. So I think it's been um, you know, having a strong tech focus, but also there's a lot of just blocking and tackling brute force, making sure that we're, we're available for our own risk as well as for our clients 24-7. Does it feel like there are a lot more problems right now than there have been in the past? It does to me. It feels like things are breaking left and right. <laughs> you know, 
I think I think that uh, you know from the DeFi side, I think after what happened with Luna, that's it's hard to say I, I disagree. But I think that uh, the market is a lot more mature now. The infrastructure is light years better than it was uh, two years ago and versus one year ago. So things are working rather rather smoothly overall. I think actually the story that's sort of not being told is the lack of contagion from that event. Absolutely. Because when it happened, you had Janet Yellen on TV <laughs> saying that it could collapse the entire financial system effectively. Yeah. And nobody bothered to update the story two weeks later when Bitcoin's trading back basically at the same price and everything continues to, to operate. So yeah, isn't that kind of a positive in some way, maybe a silver lining? Yeah, maybe that's a testament to the the real time um, trading and the the transparency, and making it so that things you know can be compartmentalized to a bigger degree. It's not like in um, you know the, the credit crisis where you'd have all of this opaque risk, where it takes uh, years and, and lawsuits to know who owes who uh, what. There's less entanglement when it's uh, you know fintech. Yeah, but do you think with a situation like that, I mean, I think we've all talked Luna to death, but do you think that there will be sort of these second order effects? Six months later, finding out some fund that you didn't know was massively exposed to UST or something. And that we can, I mean, it just feels to me like we're having these endless sort of hacks and exploits. More, Maybe it's not more so than before. Maybe it's just more in the public eye. Mm-hmm. But that we're just sort of shooting ourselves in the foot repeatedly here. And we don't really know what the effects are as of yet. There's always going to be you know, secondary tertiary effects. But I think here, the groups that had the most risk, I think, were were pretty thoughtful and that's money they could lose. I want to say you know, house money, but I think that uh, it's not as if there was groups that were leveraged longs and now they're, they're, they're owing money to an exchange. No margin so. call, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, what have you guys been focusing on primarily? I mean, are you somewhat agnostic to what you're trading and you're just making sure that you know, there's a tight spread and, or are you focused specifically on certain you know, facets of this market? I mean, last year it was like, Everyone was on NFTs for a while. Everyone was on DeFi the summer before, and everybody was on Metaverse. Is there anything like that right now, or is it? So we, we have a handful of different business lines, and we try to think uh, holistically and make, make sure that the groups are, are working thoughtfully together. Um, but to some degree, um, yeah, it's the size of the market opportunity. So I think we were highly focused on NFTs six months ago, and I still think that that's you know one of the going to be one of the hottest areas and one of the areas with the most um, growth. That the fundamentals are still there, but if the level of trading activity um, has dropped by seventy five percent instead of maybe gone up by five x and what we would have expected, you know it's harder to deploy as much of our um, risk and uh, trading technology prowess towards it. So I think it's still a, a very exciting area, but it's taking a little bit less of our you know mind space uh, this quarter than otherwise would have. I mean. NFTs, flipping NFTs, I don't, I don't know how you guys are approaching it, it seems so left field for your <laughs> business model or anything institutional. I mean, were you able, is that literally like you guys are flipping apes and? Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I think it's more about looking for ways where you know a, a computer can better solve the problem. So we're not looking at the ones that are um, you know, five, ten million, and thinking how we could broker them. It's more about ones where there are ten thousand. You could have a, a matrix work through the correlations to see um, where one price spot gives you an idea of where one um, should be trading, and and use that to recalibrate our, our models and 
if you think about it, it's been uh, you know so much value created by by OpenSea. A lot of the exchanges are looking to recreate that value. They already have the technology to a degree. They already have the the users. So they think what's missing? A lot of it's liquidity. And so it's been um, partly us wanting to be pioneers and look at this interesting area, but also just a lot of our existing partners tapping us on the back and saying, hey, this is an area where you can really help us. I mean, everything not named OpenSea has effectively flopped <laughs> massively. I mean, coin I, I don't remember the numbers, but Coinbase's NFT platform is a ghost town. Yeah, I, th I think that uh, if we were trading 100,000 Bitcoin uh, right now, you know, maybe there'd be a lot of other success stories, but um, you know, once liquidity is drying up, people are less looking at new venues and more want to stick to where there's a, a core set. Do you think then that, I mean, obviously platforms like FTX, Binance, these huge platforms that have been focusing on FT, uh, NFTs, do you think that those models disappear or you think they just sort of keep these on a low burn until the next bull market? Uh, I think that a lot of it you can say is that the, the funding, like I don't think that uh, Coinbase or FTX are going to give up. Yeah, so it's, <laughs> it's a bit early to, to, to think either it's going to be um, in the mud. But um, looking at thinking of NFTs in general, if you compare it to, to crypto and the lack of a, adoption um, over a dozen years, you know people um, laugh at the comment that oh, it's still early. It's like the dot com um, boom in the in the early uh, to mid 90s. But here with NFTs, it's truly um, very early. I think that the level of attention they've gotten um, from so many different um, you know, areas of, of focus you know, is, is certainly inspiring. And uh, yeah, I'm, I have very much confidence it's going to continue to grow. Yeah, I think you could argue that the current iteration is maybe a half of 1% of the actual use case of NFTs that most people who have been in NFTs for years are focusing on. Like the real nuts and bolts applications of it for, well, any transfer of value, but like your deed or your mortgage or your car. You know, I mm -hmm. mean, th that's a little more, uh, I would say, impactful in the future than a cartoon with an alliterative name, mm -hmm. a pudgy penguin or a <laughs> lazy lion or, or whatever. And that, to me, was like the clearest bubble we've pretty much had in crypto as of yet. I don't know if you agree, but it seems like... Yeah, I think that the prices of the assets, uh, you know, someone says, should a, a drawing of a rock, a crude drawing of a rock be worth a million? Some of these we might look back on and think it's um, ridiculous, but as opposed to looking at TradFi and um, the level of services for, for retail, there have been already challenger banks and um, ways so that you're, you don't have to use a Citibank or a JP Morgan and you'll get an alternative service. But I think, think about artists and you know, the creator economy, really just has been a negative force over negative force and it's just been well it is what it is you have to play concerts if you want to make money like there's there's no more um, money in that industry and the artists really have to be not benefiting from the technology but suffering from the technology so i think this is one that you know really is a game changer for the creator economy since they can uh you know if software can do the work of the uh, promoters and all yeah, the, the middlemen, the then yeah. there's a there's a very fat margin if it's you know art or music it's 30 to 70 percent so there's 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 plenty of fat that it can be taken out yeah that makes perfect sense so now just shifting back sort of, sort of to the larger i guess picture i'm assuming you have uncomfortable calls with clients when things start to go bad what what's the most challenging part for you and i guess interfacing keeping them calm explaining to them the context of everything that's going on i mean do you have people that are don't understand that what's happening in crypto is largely a function of the greater environment who are panicking? 
Uh, I think it's somewhat bifurcated. There's some groups that are really focused on the optics and the levels of adoption, whether it's you know, T TVL or, or volumes. And those groups, it's like when the, the tide goes out, they're, they're left naked. And if they were doing very well in terms of the optics, when the optics sour, if they didn't have much uh, behind it, I think they're the most concerned versus the groups that weren't really ever focused on the optics, they're more focused on uh, building. I think those groups are like, oh, here's our opportunity. We're, we're finally gonna get noticed and um, the competitors that you know, didn't have as good tech uh, or as good teams, you know, they're, they're now um, more, more um, easy to compete with. What kind of clients are you guys servicing now? Like who's the bulk of your clientele? Um, so I think today about 250 issuer clients, so groups that create um, coins or tokens and I think about 15 exchanges that contract us, basically pay us to help them um, light up the board and fill up the gaps. We're very much a crypto native um, focused trading firm. And while we do have some prop oriented trading, the, the bulk of our uh, 300 people today are, are mostly servicing these crypto native um, type clients. We do have some high net worth and some TradFi type clients, but I think that um, maybe from being so early and really having a deep understanding of what the, the crypto natives have, have needed, um, that's where we, we've um, uh, buttered our bread. I think you've told the story before, but I still think it's worth going into why crypto for you in the first place. I mean, you were doing quite well and had a pretty uh, nice, comfortable, probably existence in the legacy financial system before this. Yeah, I think that having a excitement-seeking type personality was what brought me to, to oil. It had that, you know, volatile derivative sense to it, where it's uh, you know complexity and just a lot of action going on and, and uh, you know, geopolitics element. And after a decade of that, um, you know, there's there's always more to learn. But I think a whole new world where there's a different set of uh, you know geopolitical, um, social socioeconomic philosophy involved, as well as even uh, more volatility. Uh, and it brings in a lot of different actors since um, you know, technology now, as you mentioned, entertainment. So I think it's that um, idea of you know, learning and excitement, which really brought me in. Yeah, it was a big risk. <laughs> it's like you seriously rolled the dice. That said, through that time, I think most of the necessary infrastructure to service, I guess, institutional clients, big money has probably been built. But are there things you see that are glaringly lacking still uh, that need to exist, even if it's like a certain kind of uh, contract or you know, ways to manage risk, custody. Is there anything glaring you think that we still haven't built that was probably just not gonna get past the risk managers of this sort of big wall of money that we still believe is coming? I'd say it's the simple stuff, the, the user experience and the you know, customer relationship management. Uh, because we have strong relationships with um, major exchanges, it's, it's on a near, daily basis that someone will say, hey, XYZ exchange, you know, they owe me $100,000 or, or, or $5 million. It's been a few weeks not getting uh, you know, feedback on where it is. Usually does get resolved, but I think that uh, you know, clearly things have been you know, moving, moving too quickly and you know, some consolidation is probably good. Right, I mean, the bull market, just from the consumer side, I had talked to CZ on the podcast and a couple other exchange CEOs, and they said that there was it would have been physically impossible, no matter how large they were, to ever scale customer service to the amount of signups that they were getting. Yeah. 
I think a lot of them probably look forward to the bear market to catch up. <laughs> quite right. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I think they mean they mean well, and um, in the end, do right by their their clients. Um, since they know that having that good client service is, is what's brought them to the level today. But you know, I'd agree that probably the market um, needs to, to catch up. Right. So, I mean, that answers the question, I guess, on the sort of infrastructure side and what needs to be built. But you touched on sort of the UX, UI yeah. side. I think we're probably further away from grandma being able to use and buy crypto than we are from institutions being able to come in. Do you, yeah, think, do you I think, think that's true? Grandma could go on, on a Coinbase or use the app. I think that side is is palpable, but I think it's more DeFi. Like some of the things happening in DeFi um, today, it's really feels like it's magical where you, you press a button, you're on MetaMask, it goes from your 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 browser to suddenly providing liquidity um, in the cloud. But as far as like you're not seeing any of that happening, you're more just uh, you know pressing a, a button and you have to understand the theory um, around it. I think if there was more you know of a visual interface and um, you know dialogue in terms of what's what's happening in real time, do you think that would make people feel um, more comfortable? I think just opening a MetaMask wallet and actually knowing what to do with your keys is challenging. Oh, 100 percent, right? And that's yeah. just not something I think. Well. Either people are daunted by it and don't want to try it, or they do it completely wrong, and they're the ones who are the victims of these phishing scams and such. I mean, it really does. I know there's scams in every industry. It just feels like, obviously, with the popularity, it's expected, but it feels like we've seen a major uptick. Yeah, if you're on Instagram, it's like most of my inbounds are, are crypto scams. It's a pretty sad state um, where we are today. My Instagram account is gone. <laughs> so I, I was getting five to ten imposters a day messaging every single person that was following me, you know, like Scott Melker with two L's or yeah. something. How's your trading going? <laughs> but it got to the point where some of them actually convinced Instagram that my account was the fake one. Wow. And now I have no Instagram account. <laughs> I'm lucky I don't have as many followers. No, it, it wasn't even that many on Instagram, <laughs> it, but it shows you how much sort of, I guess, bad actors are focused on this because it's pretty, pretty low-hanging fruit. Totally. So how do we get to the point where you log on to a platform and you can do all of this without those second and third steps and worrying about your keys and having to open a separate wallet and then having to send Ethereum from that wallet to somewhere else to do it? Yeah, I think there's different um, communities. Like when you think about the crypto insiders, and this this might be into the, the hundreds of thousands of people echoing, you know, not your your keys, uh, not your crypto. But I think for most people, they don't want to have to know what a key is. They just want it to things to work um, and be simple. Um, so I think you're going to continue to have different communities that have different levels of knowledge. If you're a real builder in the space, you want to know all the inter- idiosyncrasies and probably want to be staying um, cutting edge and have regulations stay a, a little bit um, further away or keep it keep it offshore. Versus for your average user, I think we just need more you know regulations because time will bring um, better products and those better products might just have better fidelity or less likely to get scanned on them. But I think it, it helps to have uh, regulators come in and uh, push out some of the bad actors and celebrate the, the good players. Do you think that's what's going to happen? I think it happens over over time, but I think they might accidentally push out some of the good actors. And I think that uh, they have limited resources, especially the SEC. So they're often going after the the biggest um, uh, groups 
um, rather than the, the smaller groups. And it might be the biggest groups create a lot of the, the innovation and are generally doing things well. Um, but I, I definitely see the SEC as a, you know, as a, as a tough job since there's just the, the speed of things are moving so quickly. They can't vet 20,000 assets yeah. and determine individually which one is a security or not and which mm-hmm. one is you know, powered by bad actors and which one is sufficiently decentralized. But you know, I guess we're all hopeful for some regulatory framework that makes sense. But you have to imagine with how slow they move that it'll be a completely different space they're regulating by the time they even decide. Also, it's just their their scope is that it's based on the Howey test, or right, it's, it's from not the 1940s. Uh, it's also not based on whether it's a good investment or not. Like you could um, be completely legitimate from a regulatory perspective, but just have a really bad idea, and people shouldn't be investing in it. So I think having the public be more more infor- informed and knowing, you know. Um, what is the types of areas they should be investing in and what are the things to look for um, even outside the regulatory look. Do you think that's why the industry seems to be pushing towards the CFTC instead of the SEC? Yeah, I've certainly, certainly um, thought that because you have commodity participants, you don't have commodity investors as much. So I think the CFTC is uh, a bit more pragmatic in, in terms of um, being more broad and focused versus the SEC has a history of really specifically looking out for retail. I mean, but retail does need to be looked out for to some degree. I mean, you said yeah, no, that's true, right? But but I think we've even seen yeah, but right, but I think we've seen actually an evolution of people who sort of had this like F regulation feeling. Mm-hmm. Now even are like eh, maybe some regulation wouldn't kill us. <laughs> well, uh, which is it's a really interesting sort of paradigm shift because I think there's just so many people waiting for any sort of clarity to be yeah. able to operate. Certainly from companies, right? Nobody's touching the U.S. Mm-hmm. I mean... Uh, uh, that's where all the, the investment's coming from, so they, they certainly want to have a dialogue with uh, U.S. investors. But um, as far as the builders, um, from a tax perspective, uh, from regulatory scrutiny perspective, a lot of people are, are offshore from the, from the entrepreneurial perspective. You have to be nuts to try to operate in the United States, especially as your core like base. But... That hasn't stopped money from pouring in, sort of, as you said. I mean, certainly VC, Andreessen, $4.5 billion not too long ago. Yeah. Dragonfly noted $650 million. There's still absolutely massive money pouring into this space. It just mm. seems to be pouring in through venture capital. Yeah, no, I, I do think that... Um you know, if you, if you look at what's happening in the, the, the global macro economy, you know, crypto, despite prices falling more than other assets, still continues to be you know, one of the brightest spots. Yeah. So do you have any fear now in this sort of bear market and macro environment that we might get the worst case scenario panic mode that, uh, you know, there's one side that's been screaming about the Great Reset or another Great Depression? Or do you think that uh, this time it isn't different and we move on? I think there's sort of two paths. It's either going to be, you know, pretty blah environment and not not very sexy to, to trade or or live through where we have some, you know, pretty persistent uh, inflation. But, you know, for political reasons, um, it's difficult for central banks to, to hike. Um, but, you know, that could, that could last several years. The other way is that it actually um, hike up interest rates and signal that they're going to be a bit higher and stay, stay there longer than currently bond markets expecting. And, you know, maybe that'll be a six months to a one year span of risk assets really getting hit, but get inflation down to you know, 2%, and then we could mo- move on with a more uh, a normal type of investing. So you're not seeing a 
scenario where the, uh, the, the, the Bitcoin maximalist, uh, the world melts down and it's all over and Bitcoin becomes a global reserve currency. I don't either. No. I think that this is just another sort of bear market and Fed, I mean, historically, Fed tightening cycles have actually not been that bad for markets. Yeah, I think the, the world keeps getting wackier um, each, each year that passes. So I want to say something's an impossibility, but I, I think that uh, you know, we've seen inflation uh, before. It Maybe it was uh, you know, 30, 40 uh, years ago where it's, it's really been this much of a, a threat. I'm sure we'll uh, get past it and, and crypto will as well, but I think that it's going to be a, you know ugly path along the way. Uh, I mean, I'm always confident that things will end up going up in an election year. <laughs> Maybe a really long summer like last uh, year, but my I, maybe it's my pessimistic side says mm-hmm. that uh, they'll pump markets in October, November, December because they I don't know want to keep their jobs. Yeah, it's a really short-term greedy um, decision though because you know if we continue pumping uh, more money in, then it's just going to look really bad two years out. Right, but I mean, do you think that there's really a path to where they're going to stop printing money long term? I think that uh, sort of going to wear our bed. That's that's generally what happens when you have a a, a, a popular, uh, driven political regime globally. Yeah, print more money. Yeah, yeah. It's really uh, hard to keep your job if you do austerity or send the world into a depression. Yeah. Also, once you have all this um, borrowing, the way to make it cheaper to pay it back is to devalue the borrow the value of those dollars that you borrowed. Right. So, but so there has to be an end game to that eventually, though, right? Yeah. What is that? More, 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 more and more borrowing. I don't know. <laughs> more endless, <laughs> endless money printing. So yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting environment, and I, I have to say I'm a bit surprised at just how bad and quick it's been, with solely really inflation being the only story. Yeah, I mean. Three years ago, we'd probably be talking about deflation now and That's demographics right. of all the, the, the first first world um, countries uh, not having enough um, uh, births and uh, technology uh, you know, keeping um, the level of wages uh, too too low. Um, so, you know, hard to know what's going to happen in a few years. Yeah. So is there anything, like, before we conclude, that's really exciting to you in the crypto space that's that's happening, or do you think it's... We're just sort of sideways and choppy and waiting for the the next moment. Uh, I think that taking a bit of the the, the fog away, it's easier to see um, top projects and and top builders, and they'll probably uh, attract just as enough, uh, just as much, or if not more more money um, to them. So I think that there's some you know silver lining to to what's happened now, as you mentioned. Um, some of the top funds are still attra- attracting Huge. capital, which is multiples of what it was uh, a couple of years ago. So I think that the people that were in this industry more for the short-term winnings or more because it was the, the hot thing to do, yeah, they might be leaving. But I think the, the real core builders are going to be nose down. I think a lot of the, the best stuff really gets built in bear markets anyway. So maybe we won't have 20,000 coins by the time this is done. Maybe we'll <laughs> be down to like sixteen or 17,000. <laughs> Huge culling. (laughs) Thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Always a pleasure to talk. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you haven't already left a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please do that now. Spotify just added ratings, so please go ahead and click that five star. I'll see you guys next time.